0: However, standing by right now, is the one and the only, Sean Mooney, who? Mooney, everybody's got a price for the Million Dollar Man.
1: (laughs) After he threw him off through the announce table, Taker climbs back down, he gets in the ring, and he goes, see if he's breathing. Uh, well, George Clooney, of course. <laughs> Who else could it be?
0: Attention, Sean Mooney, you scum, you slime, you maggot. If there's no further questions, you're dismissed.
1: Carry on, maggot. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to Prime Time with Sean Mooney. Uh, it has been some week. Uh, Coming off the Dave Millikan episode, one of my all-time favorites, I have to tell you. And I know I've said this about other episodes, but this was really a great one. I really enjoyed it. You know, he's one of the greatest belt craftsmen alive. Uh, He, along with Reggie Parks. And it was uh, a great conversation because a lot of that uh, stuff that we talked about, I had no idea. Uh, I never knew there were so many incredibly... uh, Interesting aspects to making a title belt, the history, all uh, the stories behind crafting one, uh, the people who have worn them, the collectors, you know, the stories, the uh, belts being lost and found, and, and the people and organizations that have commissioned them. I mean, just just fascinating stuff. So I really I love that episode and Dave Milliken, thank you. Uh, we got another great conversation coming your way this week. Once again, another guest you might not expect to ever hear from, except. Right here on Primetime with Sean Mooney. What do you say? Let's uh, let's get to it. Uh, joining us this week is a member of the very first broadcast, uh, broadcast team for Monday Night Raw. Do you remember who uh, that team was? Well, I'll tell you. Vince McMahon, the Macho Man Randy Savage, and our guest this week, Rob Bartlett. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, Folks, my guest this week uh, shares a time in WWF slash WWE history with me. That's right. (laughs) We both appeared on the first episode ever of Monday Night Raw. And uh, I was out on the streets of New York City freezing my ass off. He was inside the Manhattan Center, uh, part of the original Raw announced team with Vince McMahon and the Macho Man Randy Savage. But that is just one of his many claims to fame. (laughs) <laughs> As we will discuss, welcome, comedian, writer, actor, Don, I'm a sidekick, Rob Bartlett. Rob, how are you? I'm good, Sean. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm sounding like I'm actually in a closet right now. I'm in the middle of moves, oh, okay. and, uh, and I came over here to the house because uh, it's the only place that has internet, <laughs> and I was like, I am in a closet right now. I'm surrounded by blankets, and that's the best I can do today. So so the
0: foreclosure came
1: through, I guess? Yep, they are throwing my ass out. It's over. <laughs>
0: You know, you, you said you were cold, freezing your ass off on the street. I, I was getting a much chillier reception inside, so <laughs> I don't know who is colder, you or the
1: crowd. Yeah, which one's worse, right? Yes. Yeah, you know what? Well, we, we we will get into all that. Okay. But, uh, you know, first, though, before we talk about the WWF and how that all happened, uh, folks, if you have not uh, had an opportunity to experience the comedy of Rob Rob Bartlett, uh, a part of your life is missing because he has done so much along the way. Of course, you're you're most uh, well known for uh, your appearances, your many many appearances uh, with Don Imus and, and his programs, and uh, also though um, you know not just a comedian. I know you started with stand up, but uh, a, a writer and and some great acting roles and Broadway. I mean, not no, not, we're not talking off I mean like big time Broadway and. Uh, where did it all begin? I mean, you grew up in a great place for it to happen. And and it just seems like if you can't if you don't grow up entertaining and I mean being in that area of the country, there's something wrong with you. Uh,
0: yeah, I think uh, Long Island you're going to have to wind up entertaining in one form or another because it's just a survival technique. Yeah. Um, I, you know, was the quintessential class clown. I was the really annoying person that everybody hated.
1: Yeah.
0: Um how to get the last word in, how to, you know, be the center of attention and I mean, I used to come up with spontaneous musicals that I would sing a cappella in the street using the various people who lived in the neighborhood as characters, to the uh, amusement of uh, my my friends, and that's kind of where it started. And then, uh, you know, became a drama geek in in high school, took a little theater in college, and. Uh, I took a leave of absence in college to pursue stand up because comedy was, a, you know, always been my thing yeah. and uh, wound up wound up doing well enough
1: to figure I didn't need to go back to school. So and I've been a professional comedian ever since. Did, did you grow up in a family though, of entertainers? Was your family funny or, you know, because a lot of the cases you talk to comedians and, and it, they were just surrounded uh-huh. by it. Oh, um, my my
0: father was funny. My father was very funny. My father actually looked a lot like Jackie Gleason and he could do
1: really?
0: not a great impression of Jackie, but he did a great impression of Frank Fontaine, you know, with he e, 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 I don't remember yeah, that yeah. show. I, yeah. I'm dating myself. Anyway, um yeah he was a funny guy i got uh, I got a lot of my sense of humor from him and you know there was nothing better than making him laugh because it was like praise from Caesar you know right. yeah um and like every comedian will tell you they were on a constant search for approval <laughs> <laughs> so if it wasn't my father it was I miss and
1: uh, now it's you so yeah there you go <laughs> uh, what was uh uh when did you discover the voices that you could you could uh you know, uh, imitate people.
0: I um, I had a kind of a, I guess, an ear for it. You know, and I could, I could kind of do exaggerated impressions of the people from the neighborhood, and yeah. and eventually turn that to the school. You know, to teachers, I would, uh, you know, get them, you know, pretty much nail them, and 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 try and use that against them in any way, shape, or form I could. <laughs> you know, um, so that was kind of the thing. You know, and then would would learn after listening to a voice that. I could kind of, you know, approximate. There were some people I could nail. Some people I only do what they call impressions of, which is just kind of like everybody's Christopher Walken. Everybody can do a Christopher Walken impression, right? It's a it's an impression. It's not a it's not a um, what do they call it? Uh, Impersonation, which is you know, or people like Jay Moore does the the perfect impersonation of uh, Christopher Walken because he's such an easy guy to you know, you know. Imitate. <laughs> it's easy. It's really easy, you know.
1: Yeah. That's so right. that's awesome. Um, but who was your first uh, one that you really nailed? I mean, that ever you know, there was a celebrity or somebody that you imitated. It was Mister Sweeney who lived next door. I mean, that was the first one I
0: nailed, and then after that, I think it was the Beatles. I kind of had uh, you know the Liverpool accent down. I do, I do the you know I do John. John was kind of up a, up a. Cadence there up in the register. And then uh, Paul, of course, was much uh, softer and and quieter and uh, much, much higher. And then George was more, like, uh, very quiet and back, and he liked to sing about things. And uh, Ringo. uh, Ringo, yeah. You know, (laughs) Ringo. (laughs) I got a hold of me, Paul. You know, so (laughs) those were the the first ones, I guess. And then it kind of progressed from there.
1: Um, You know, when I was a kid, I mean, I love comedy, too. And and you and I could go on for hours. I, I think that you are a in some ways must be a historian as well as uh, uh, with comedians. And, you know, I was uh, crazy about Jerry Lewis when I was a kid. I mean, I watched all the movies. Oh, everybody was. Yeah. But were there uh, comedians that uh, you idolized back then, guys that you really said, you know, God, I want to be funny like him? Um, I would. Jonathan Winters was really
0: the first one. Um, really? Yeah. Jonathan Winters kind of inspired the kind of comedy I do, which is mostly character-driven and kind of crazy and uh, not really monologue stuff, but... He, you know, I used to watch him whenever he was on any of the talk shows and, you know, Carson was famous for like giving him a stick and, uh, winters would literally do 20 minutes just using the stick as various props and you'd <laughs> hurt, you'd laugh so hard. I mean, that yeah. was a very, that was a very, very, uh, amazing genius, uh, comedian. Um, and then as I got older oh, and, um, what's his name too? I liked a lot, um. Uh, the Pink Panther. But what the hell is it oh, uh, so. yeah, to um, yeah, nobody uh, can remember names anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Peter Sellers. Peter, Peter Sellers. Peter Sellers, yeah. Peter Sellers uh, was a, I was a big fan of. He did a movie called The Party where he played a Hindu movie extra. And it was just a stupid movie. But boy was he funny in that. And you know, of course, Abbott and Costello and you know, Little you know, Rascals know. and Three Stooges and Marx Brothers. You know, even Marvin Hardy, Marx you know, Brothers. that kind of stuff. I and mean, he you learned old school and then uh, then it was like a lot of comedic actors, like Walter Matthau, I really liked. And, you know, the guy who really inspired me to do stand up is Pat Cooper. Pat, mm. um, I forget what he was, he was on something uh, like on a Sunday night, might have been Sullivan. And um, I, my, 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 my father was laughing hysterically at this routine it was an Italian wedding routine that he did and my father went out and bought the album and I listened to it intently and then I actually did it and word for word yeah. I did that bit in my kindergarten Christmas party so that was my first I was trying to impress Ida Green of course you okay. try to impress a, a woman
1: Didn't and
0: work. um no no, no. It's a, I've never once gotten any from doing stand-up Sean Jeez, all never this? once all this effort for nothing um but um yeah, that was the first time I actually ever did stand-up, so Pat was a, a big influence, and then later when I knew, you know, exactly what it took to be funny and what it took to be a comedian, and
1: of course, yeah, yeah.
0: I, and it was like people like George Carlin
1: and uh, yeah, I was gonna Pryor
0: you. and, uh, you know, yeah. that you really, like, were in awe of, you know.
1: And Lenny Bruce, I mean, you, is yeah,
0: that edgier yeah. comedy? yeah. Yeah. And just, you know, the, the, the looking at things from like the other side, you know, kind of a turning, turning something on its side and looking at it. I mean, Carl was the best at that. And, mm-hmm. and Pryor was the best at just taking everyday things that everyone kind of shared and knew you didn't have to be black, you didn't have to be white, whatever it was, it was universal knowledge. What he was talking about it was just about being a human and, and man, with that physicality he had and the voices. And I mean, there was nobody like him. I saw him at city center when he was doing the tour for um the first movie the richard Pryor live movie whatever it was and and patty labelle opened for him Mm -hmm. and patty labelle's mother had died like the night before so she gave the most emotional show i mean her performance was like over the top it was just amazing how great she was uh i mean the place was just lit up and, and people were screaming and crying and and I thought to myself, oh, my God, he's going to have to set his dick on fire to follow this. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, not knowing later on <laughs> it would actually happen. Yeah, but, yeah, I good, mean, well, yeah. he walked out without being announced. And they didn't even turn the house lights down after intermission. And he I forget what he said to open the show, but the audience went crazy. And he kept at that level, yeah. that level of laughs through the entire 90-minute set. How is it all? I
1: mean, it was just nobody like him. Yeah. I mean, he could riff on anything. I oh. you know, the the whole bit he does on visiting Africa, and oh, oh my god, just and the, you know, he was one of the first to really. I mean, he and Colin they actually yeah. kind of said something with their comedy.
0: You know, in the tradition yeah. of Lady Bruce, obviously, like make make social commentary. You know,
1: Yeah. I mean,
0: um, pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Yeah,
1: and when you and you talk about it, like that's when comedy started to change, and because you know I was of that age when you had your like you said Jonathan Winters and right. you know, George Burns and Shecky Green and these right. Borscht Belt guys who had yep. made, made the transition to television and and even you know somebody sort of like I was thinking before we went on, I said you know like Freddie Roman, you know, oh God, <laughs> who was right. like. Just dropped dead. I remember I was at a Killer. and I worked for Major League Baseball Productions. And I went to the baseball writers' dinner, and he was the comedian. I'd never heard of him before. Oh, yeah. And I remember the joke that he, he told, and you couldn't do it today, but uh, when he t- uh, talks about Pia Zadora acting, uh-huh. and he said, I, you know, she was so bad. Uh-huh. and She was an Anne Frank. And when, <laughs> the, when, the, when, the, when the, uh, the Nazis came to the house, you know, <laughs> she was so bad, the <laughs> entire audience stood up at once and yelled, she's in the attic. <laughs> and I remember just crying. It was just the yeah. funniest. And I yeah. and I went and they had a WrestleMania at Atlantic City, and he was playing a room there. And I had a break between what we were doing, and I went and saw Freddie and just cried my eyes out. I was a
0: master, a master. I've worked with him a number of times, and I'm always you know. Yeah, and nobody's
1: heard of him. And I mean, on a on a broad giant scale, you know. What I mean? No, but, I mean, but
0: the level of success he has, he's the king. You know, I mean, and and he's well-respected by everybody
1: in the comic community, you know. Um, But my point of it is, is back then it was, it was just funny. They, they weren't, they, you know, they didn't send a political message or, uh, you know. Right. And then you had people like Carlin, but they'd give a message, but were funny. And so today it's really different. You can't say anything because, you know, like a lot of your comedy is, you know, you could call a lot of insult comedy, you know, like Rickles along the line with Rickles. You, you couldn't, you can't do that. No, you can't, and so, you know, anything that has anything to do with sexism, more.
0: I mean, it's 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 a different world, and I understand where it comes from, but it also kind of is really bad if you're going to censor comedians. You know, I mean, I've never been the kind of comic who wants to say something to me. I I don't think anybody could care. Anything about what I have to say or what I think about anything, I just want to, you know, squirt the seltzer in my pants and make you laugh. You know, that's that's all I want to do. But there are comics out there who are kind of restrained from being able to make their points in a way that it would make sense. I, I just saw a thing on on um, uh, Netflix. Uh, Larry Charles, the guy who used to do um, the Seinfeld show,
1: yeah. he
0: went around the world and he went to Iraq to see what Iraqi comedians were like, and it was. Pretty amazing to see
1: how what chances they took and, and and you can't do anything like that now here, so I don't know, you know. Yeah, well that if when they say I died, I mean you really something <laughs> yeah. there would be I, you might. I mean yeah. you've gotta be careful
0: in other I countries.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, but, uh, you know, and I'd love to, to uh, go through this, you know, how your career and how you ended up, we are going to get there, but we're going to have to kind of fast forward a little bit, but you okay. you, you were a comedian, you were coming up at a perfect time, because I lived in uh, in Manhattan in the 80s, and that was when, you know, the rage of comedy clubs, yep. I mean, everybody had a comedy club, if you had a restaurant, uh, you had a basement, then, you know, two nights a week, you were doing comedy, you had comedy yep. in there, and, yep. and for you, was that like a great uh, opportunity for you? Oh, it was. I couldn't have started any other time. I mean, no. you,
0: you, we were very lucky. There were more rooms, and there were comedians, and you could literally work every night of the week and not repeat a club yeah. for months. You know, any town that was within an hour' distance of an airport had a comedy club or two or three. So. Um, And that's when all the showcase clubs, like Catch a Rising Star and the Comic Strip and the Improv, that's when they were reign supreme. And you know, you'd you'd wait outside in the cold in the morning to get a number to go on on the open mic night. And then, you know, if you if you passed, they invited you back to do three o'clock in the morning sets until you worked your way up the ladder. it was uh, it was a great time, you know. It's exactly. my favorite time because it was we were doing it just for the fun of it, you know. Whenever you start to make money off something, it, it kind of loses a little something. So, but mm-hmm. that was when it was just pure, you know. And we could make our own rules. I mean, on Long Island, we were lucky because we we controlled everything. I think there were, mm-hmm. wound up being eventually four or five clubs on Long Island when all was said and done before the boom exploded and it all went in the toilet. But we we just you know we had the East side comedy club, we had the brokerage, we had. Um, Governors, and we had all
1: these yeah. places, chuckles, was,
0: yeah.
1: and um, you know they were all home bases, and it was a great camaraderie. Oh, and it was it was amazing. Then you know I lived seventy uh, eighth in New York, so I was you know two right. blocks from Catch a Rising Star, right. Right. and you, you you could go in there and they would have you know the open mic nights. Yeah. But what was awesome about it is those nights I can't even remember it was like a Monday night or something like that. Mm-hmm. You buy a white was a buy a beer or you know basically right. or two beers, but right. if you hung around late. Uh, people would come in to try material, and I there, I saw Robin Williams there one night. Oh, Rodney, yeah. who lived you know just a couple blocks away, he had that right. in that uh, that uh, high rise uh, right. building that he bought two apartments or something. But anyway, right. he would just drop in, and he yeah. would have. I remember he had a napkin, and he'd you know uh, you know he'd sit there, he'd, and he wouldn't even look up. He just basically he'd hop in. He'd have like written on a piece of paper, a napkin, and you know he'd do his. Uh, hey, you know my wife and I like to have. Uh, I like to have phone sex. She calls me whenever she's having sex. Okay, you like that one. You know, people laugh. You know, she was, was so she was so ugly, you know. <laughs> she was so fat. She was in the middle of the street. I, yeah. So I hit her. She said, why'd you hit me? I said, I didn't have enough gas to go around, you know. Oh, you like that. <laughs> it was just, it was magical. though. And you had to wait, and some nights nothing happened. But every, you know, every few weeks or so, one big guy would, would drop in. And it was just, it was an incredible time. Oh, yeah. It was had a great time. So, um, uh, how, so getting through this, I mean, you're doing stand-up, is, how did the connection to Imus happen? Because that really was a, a big springboard for your career. So
0: what happened, And the, the way I got in with Imus was I used to open for Soupy Sales, and he had a show on NBC, and I'd come on with him whenever I wanted to promote, like a benefit I was doing or something. Yeah. And I was cut to doing a benefit at this club in Bayside called Jimmy's Comedy Alley. It was an old bowling alley. It was for uh, tomorrow's children, or it was, you know, maybe it was a uh, Make a Wish Foundation. That's what right. it was. And and for whatever reason, um, I don't think Supi was on that week. Or, so I'm doing a gig one night with a guy by the name of Mark Chef, who was IMS's producer before Bernard. Right. And Mark says to me, well, why don't you come down and do, I a show, you know, on Friday, we do comedians on Fridays. So I said, yeah, that'd be great. You know, so I'd known I from, you know, he was on like clock radio when I was a kid in the morning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'd wake up to him, you know, he'd play Elton John's Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me. And, you know, he'd come in after the record saying, well, you're not going to let your son go down on me. How about your daughter? And they would go, <laughs> they would put like 40 minutes of Morgan music, you know, at that point. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So, I was thrilled I could actually, you know, meet him. and So, yeah. I went in and did my Tom Carvel bit, which was my signature bit at the time. It was this mm-hmm. three-character little mini-play that I had with Tom Carvel and a guy who owned uh, one of the stores, and the guy's wife, who was from Italy and didn't speak any English. Mm-hmm. And that was my signature bit. That was my big closer. So, I did that for Imus, and he went nuts. Uh. Just went nuts. And so, I said, oh, right, anytime you want to come back, come back. So... Yeah. I'd check him at his word. I showed up whenever I could. I'd get my butt out of bed at 9 o'clock in the morning, and I'd take the train into the city, and I'd, you know, sh- just I'm kind there. of pop in. Oh, so I'd come in, and I'd, you know, start doing some riffs and whatnot live with him. And then uh, he said, well, why don't you try doing bits? Why don't you come in after the show and do, like, recorded bits? I said, all right, so... He said, now we can pay it. We can start paying it. So that's fine. I, I like that idea. Yeah. So I uh, started going in after the show was over to do recorded pieces. And I got like two or three on a day. And then if they played them on the best of Us at the weekends, you got like another, you know, 12 bucks, or whatever it was that they paid. <laughs> and um, then all of a sudden, you know, he, he goes to rehab in the summer, uh, that summer, and he. Uh, yeah, that Charles McCord, his his newsman, takes over the show,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that's of course a big gap. You know, they're kind of losing a little something, and so the program director, uh, by the name of Jim Collins, he, he he called. He said, "Why don't you start coming in with us?" I said, "Great." So I started coming in with them and, and did it enough, and I guess I Ims got some air checks and liked what he heard. And, you know, thought he could trust me to be part of the show. So when he came back offered me a full-time gig, which kind of coincided with the sale of NBC, and that's when we moved over to WFAN, and uh, I was there for 31 years.
1: Yeah, God, just amazing. But, uh, you know, obviously you're allowed to do other things, and so how did the uh, and, and and we'll get to what everybody's been wanting to hear about is uh, your connection to Vince McMahon. Do you do a uh-huh. good? I, I have to imagine you do a good Vince McMahon. I I, re, I seem to recall.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's not a tough one though, is it?
0: No, no. But it says I like the fact that whenever he would do the play-by-play, you couldn't really understand what he was saying. It was just such frenetic. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so how did he discover you? How did how did Vince discover you?
0: Well, um, I was doing a, through IMAS, I got connected with the uh, Connecticut Special Olympics. And they would do fundraisers all the time. And I would do the auctions. Mm-hmm. And so I got asked to do one up. Uh, I think it probably was. Um, what's the town where. In
1: Stanford, uh, somewhere, right?
0: In Stanford, yes. I was doing a thing yeah. in Stanford, and Vince was there because Vince was a big supporter of Special Olympics. I think. Mm-hmm. One of the things i got to say about him is that. That whole organization has been really amazing when it comes to charitable work. I mean, they're yeah. they're always sending guys into hospitals and whatnot. And it's all about the kids, and yeah. so he was he was there, and he's sitting at a table up front, and he was wearing a peach velour three piece suit.
1: You couldn't it No <laughs> instant I material.
0: I did twenty minutes. <laughs> On this suit. I mean, it was Do you lines. Remember like, any of it? <laughs> oh, one of them was like, you know, it's such a great looking suit. I wonder what it would look like if a heterosexual was wearing it. <laughs> oh
1: man! You know, like,
0: stuff like that. I really, really hammered it. The crowd went nuts, and he kind of laughed along with it. But I don't know, a week later, I got a call um, from miss Mrs. Secretary. She says uh, Vince McMahon just called here looking for you. He wants you to call him back, so she gave me his number, I called him, and he said, I'm, I'm doing this new thing, uh, kind of like going into unknown territory here, but I think it's exciting. I want to do an event every week, live, from a location in the city, and I would like to have you be part of it. I'd like to have you, you know, be part of the team.
1: hmm
0: and I said, sure. You know, at the time, my, my son, my oldest son, was completely into, you know,
1: yeah.
0: into wrestling. Because yeah. All three of them were at various parts of the life. Actually, he's back into it now that he's a, you know, a 33-year-old father. He's back yeah. into wrestling. Yeah. But, uh, uh, so, yeah, and I, I, I went up and I would it a little bit with he and Randy uh, in Stanford at the headquarters watching old matches and whatnot. And it was pretty clear I didn't know what the hell I was talking about. I mean, I <laughs> really had no.
1: You weren't a uh, wrestling fan.
0: No, I wasn't at the time, but I mean, I knew enough just to get me in trouble, you know? Mm-hmm. And right. so, so I started and I mean, it was that first moment when they threw it, when you threw it inside to, yeah. uh, to Vince and Randy, myself that you know, I've watched it, you know, a number of times since then. And it's just almost like the moment I come on screen in my head, I hear wah, 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 wah. Mm-hmm. Yeah it was just, Oh God, I was, I was so awful. So awful. It's, it's remarkable that I lasted as long as I did on that show because I was really, God, I stuck the place up and, you know, to his credit, he stuck with me, you know, and I, I really loved all the people I worked with. Macho man, you know, Randy was just a great guy. Bobby Heenan was another great guy. Kevin Dunn, the producer was, I just knew a lot of the guys who were such great guys. Um, and I, I liked doing it, but I really wasn't that good at it. Towards the end, I kind of got a couple of shots in, but
1: yeah. so why, what do you think it was though? because it was just so far out of your element that, uh... I, think,
0: I think that it, you know it's a fine line with professional <laughs> wrestling where it's the outrageous, exaggerated world taken completely seriously um, and although it's outrageous and over the top. To make fun of that almost doesn't kind of work. You know what I mean? Mm. It's, it's already larger than life. To try and take it anywhere else really just doesn't work. You know, that coupled with the fact that I really didn't know what I was talking about. Yeah. So I think that, that was, you know, one of the main reasons. Uh, because you notice I haven't really had anybody do it since. Yeah. <laughs> it was like the great experiment that went awry, you know? Yeah.
1: Um, Yeah, well, that is, uh, you know, it really is a tough world, as you learn very quickly. And the the audience is very uh, particular, uh, as they are, again, uh, seeing with the product today. But it is, it's true. And, you know, I came from another world, too. I I came from, uh, you know, I had worked at Major League Baseball Productions before that. I had, you know, a sports background. But uh, as far as wrestling went, I didn't know uh, very much at all. And I it was a, a crash course. I mean, fortunately, I wasn't put into a situation right away where I was doing commentary. You know, I, my stuff was pretty much, uh, you know, set and telling people where events were going to happen and holding a microphone until I got the swing of it. But it, it is, it's, it's a brutal world. And, and, and there's, it, there, it, you say there's a fine line and, and there's one side and then there's another. And either you're right. in or you're out. There's no, oh, yeah, kind of like him. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. No, it was very black and white.
0: And it wasn't until, like, the last two episodes I was on that I think I kind of got a little bit of, you know, a couple steps up with the fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, they both happened at the hockey arena up in Poughkeepsie where we used to go once a week because Manhattan Center wasn't available all four weeks of the month. Yeah. I forget the name of it, but. Uh, one night it was, Vince was not doing the show because he he and Randy uh, were going to some award ceremony. They were getting an award for all that they'd done for charity and whatnot. And so they put me together with Bobby, Bobby Heenan, and Gorilla Monsoon. And I thought to myself, well, now Vince isn't here. And I kind of was doing an impression of him backstage to the amusement of the other wrestlers who were, you know, always looking over their shoulder to see if he was coming down the hallway. Right. So I had Sharon, I think her name was, the makeup lady, uh, make me up to look like Vince. She, she gave me shoulder pads for the tuxedo jacket. She uh, painted my lips larger so I had the full, you know, Vince McMahon lips and mm-hmm. slicked my hair back. And, and I basically did the impression that I do of him the entire show, which is saying nothing, just kind of going, and he you know, it tickled he did, but gorilla was like, what is wrong with this guy? And I did that the whole show. Well, the crew, the wrestlers, everybody went nuts. They couldn't believe I had, you know, the stones to actually, Make fun of the boss like that on national television. I guess nobody had done it prior.
1: And the, and crowd? So, uh, and the, the crowd? crowd,
0: the crowd kind of took to it too. You know, yeah. and a couple of kids. You know, as we were walking to the back, that you know, looking for autographs and whatnot. I thought, okay, uh, maybe I got something here. Yeah. So, following week, uh, we're back at the Manhattan Center, and you know, we're all in the back, and Vince comes in, and he calls everybody and crew. All the wrestlers, all the men, everybody in the little room where they used to do the catering, you know, the grilled chicken and the, and the pasta and the steamed vegetables. And they're all crammed in this little room. And he looks at me and he goes, Bartlett, you're <laughs> And everybody went nuts. And, you know, he thought it was really, really funny. And yeah. I guess he thought it was funny. I don't know. He made it like he thought it was funny, but I'm not so sure he thought it was funny. Well, the following week, there was an event at Madison Square Garden, and I took my son and a bunch of his friends to go see it, you know, and I'm thinking, well, you know, your dad's part of the announcing team on the, on the top-rated show in the network, uh, I'm sure we're going to be sitting ringside, so they were all excited, went backstage, they got to hold the belt, they met all the guys, they met, you know, Virgil and Randy, Steiner Brothers, and everybody, and uh, We go to take it to your seats. All right. So take us to your seats. And we walk and we walk and we walk. And (laughs) literally the row below the ceiling is where all of us are sitting. And I'm mortified. I'm absolutely mortified. And so I go down to go backstage again. And then says, what are you doing here? I said, I said, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in the nosebleed section. I am you know, I'm, I'm in New Jersey. I'm at a <laughs> He said, well, that was a whole idea. It was going to be a joke. We're going to call out your name and hit you with a spotlight and watch you do the walk of shame all the way down to the ring. Yeah. I said, oh, okay. That's not going to happen. Uh, and so then they announced me in the ring was Giant Gonzalez and his uh-huh. manager. Harvey something was his manager, I think. I can't remember.
1: Harvey Whippleman? Or,
0: yes. Harvey Whippleman, I think, was Giant Gonzalez's manager. And Giant, I guess, was like seven and change, maybe yeah. eight feet tall. And, uh, you know, they kind of made him have to look like the missing link with the costume with the fur arms and all that. Yeah. And so we have this little exchange back and forth where, you know, Harvey is making fun of New York, and it's a city of losers, and it's dirty, and I'm standing up for New York. Now, i have gotten booed the entire time I walked into the ring up until the point when he started making fun of New York, and I stand up for New York. Yeah, it's the greatest city in the world. It's the center of the universe, and I'm thinking now I'm really going to get the crowd behind me, and they're still booing me. They're still (laughs) booing, and so I kind of make a move like I'm going to throw a punch, and Giant Gonzalez puts his hand on my shoulder and gives me one of those Spock pinches and pushes me down to my knees in the middle of the ring, and then I did my uh, my finish move. My you know my famous finishing move, I ran out of the ring yeah. as fast as I could. And the uh, following week, we're, we're back up in Poughkeepsie, and you know, Vince is kind of laughing to himself, and he, you know, he's, he's got me back. I'm thinking, fine. He says, well, you're going you're gonna to break up a fight between Luna Vachon and the Sensational Sherry. They're going to get into a fight in the outside of the ring, and you're going to break it up. Mm-hmm. I said, okay. So, you know, we're doing the show, and I'm sitting ringside with the, you know, the Tammy from Time Life Books headset and microphone. uh, (laughs) Of course, Luna Vachon comes out, and, you know, I I was not familiar with Luna Vishon, and so I immediately thought, oh, oh, oh. oh." Yeah. Oh. And, you know, Sensational Sherry was there, and they start getting, you know, ugly with each other, and they start this really out and out. Down at Brass tacks, no holds barred catfight, yeah. and they were just tearing each other apart. And Vince goes, "Go, go, go!" <laughs> so I, I go like an idiot. You know, I go out and I try to separate the two of them. And, and I think it was Sherry grabbed my shirt collar, you know, right where a button, where the first button is, yeah, and pulled down and tore my entire shirt and t-shirt right off my body. <laughs> And then I did my, you know, my patented finishing move. I I ran into the back. So I'm in the back and I asked Sharon the makeup lady. I said, make me look like I've really gotten the crap out of me. So she puts on blood and bruises and blackens one of my teeth. And I'm back there for a whole nother segment. Well, they go to commercial after the segment I was in the back. And we come back on the air, and I come staggering out. Like I'm completely dazed. And the crowd goes crazy. And, you know, I basically got back behind the table and continued to do the rest of the show. And that's when the crowd all of a sudden thought, all right, we like this guy. Mm -hmm. And then then I think that it was the next week I would said, you know what, I'm really not right for this. I don't think I'm ever going to get to a point where I'm going to be doing anything that's going to be helping this show. I I certainly am not bringing much to it. I think I'm just going to, take my leave. And Kevin Dunn said, you know, I'm really disappointed. I, you know, I, I had an idea we are going to do a show together for the network because he and I were spitballing and I thought it'd be really great if we did like a little Saturday night live show uh, using the wrestlers as the primetime players, you know, and, you know, just do sketches, you know, based on the wrestling world or not wrestling world. And I think I wrote a, a, a sketch for Yokozuna where it was a commercial for I forget which car company, but they rolled the ball bearing across the uh, the hood of the car and all of the car, and so I, I think it was like the 1998 Yokozuna, whatever the date was, and we're going to drop a, a marble on your mizuna and watch it as it kind of rolled around until it dropped, you know, down the back of his crack underneath the diaper, <laughs> and be, like run. So that was the way you got it started. But it never it never happened, but yeah. you know I look back fondly on those days. You know I'm kind of sorry it didn't work out, but uh, but and I, I I'm, I'm very honored that I am in the, I'm ranked in the top 10 worst wrestling announcers of all time. Uh, you know, I, I'm still not number one. I'm, I'm working as hard as I can to get to that point. But, uh, you know, it was, it was a crazy time, man. It was a really crazy time.
1: I mean, do you think you said that, uh, you know, you started to feel a little bit more and more? Did you, do you ever think, you know, maybe if I would have just stuck it out, maybe uh, you know, I could have been a big part of this. You
0: know, it, I, mean, I, I thought about it hard, and I thought, you know what, maybe I could, but it had taken like almost 13 weeks at that point, uh-huh. and I just kind of made a little chip in a, in, in, the, in the ceiling there, and I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm really not doing this show of service, I gotta I gotta get out, you know, and, uh, you know, the, just so the death threats would stop, and you know, stuff like that.
1: <laughs> Your family uh-huh. would be safe again. Yes, yes. yes <laughs> you, could, you could get rid of the security <laughs> team.
0: Right, I didn't have to, you know, pull the hood over my head when I left the house.
1: Yeah, right. Uh, what did, what was Vince's reaction though to that when you when you went to him and said, "Look, I just moved to um
0: I, uh, you know, he never contacted me. Uh, I think he was upset that I hadn't really spoken to him about it. Uh, you know, in retrospect, I probably should have, but you know, I was kind of scared <laughs> of him. So, right. <laughs> uh, but I gotta say, you know. I think I've said this before in various interviews, and Vince McMahon is the P.T. Bonham of our time. There is nobody who knows how to give a crowd what they want like he does. And, you know, he's got the empire to show for it.
1: Yeah, now, um, you, you talk about people like uh, Randy and Bobby, That you, of all the guys, probably you got the opportunity to work with them the most. Um, but who... What was your relationship like? Tell me first with, with Randy, because, you know, Randy could be tough and uh, especially with people from the outside of wrestling. Uh, but it sounds like, um, you know, he was, he was pretty cool with you.
0: He was really, really kind to me. He, like, went out of his way to try to make me feel welcome, make me feel comfortable. Anything he could do to help. Uh, you know, he'd bail me out when I would, you know, kind of talk myself into a into a corner and he would bail me out. I mean he was a real gentleman and a really sweet man and he was very, very kind to me, you know, and, and Bobby was the same way. Bobby was just a great, a great guy. He loved what he did and he shared that love with everybody he you know came in contact with and you know, had a blast with him.
1: Well Bobby was like that too, and from your viewpoint as a comedian, when you looked at somebody like him, do you think he could have made it? Outside of wrestling, as a comedian in that world, no doubt in my mind. There's no doubt in my mind. He
0: he had a Rodney Dangerfield-esque quality to him. I thought,
1: yeah,
0: you know, and quick. And like, yeah, oh, quick, real like Quick Silver, man. He was amazing. He could he could pull something, you know, out of the out of the air. I mean, he really. You know, and I said to him, I said, you know, anytime you want to do an open mic night, let me know. I'll catch you on. And I think. I think you you have the basis for a really good act, you yeah. know, and he was smart too. I mean, both both Randy and he were very very smart guys, you know, and that that also helps. I mean, you can't be a comedian and be dumb, you know, except for me. But I mean, <laughs> you got to know what you're doing. Um, so yeah, I, I thought he would have been
1: great. You know, because they they uh, you know they had prime time wrestling. We'd have this live show with an audience. And Bobby was always so awesome. I mean, he was great with you know that magic between him and and Gorilla Monsoon. uh, To me, like any other great comedy team,
0: so great. I mean, they were like Abbott and Costello. Yeah. No, he was great. I mean, it's. I was very sad.
1: So, what do you think? And and I, I love picking your brain on this because comedy's been you've been around comedy your whole life. What do you think it was that worked so well between the two of them?
0: I think they knew each other really well, you know? I mean, I got the feeling that they knew each other from the old days, and they had worked together a whole lot, and they came from the same place, and they were very attuned to each other. Like, they would finish each other's sentences kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And it was just like the right chemistry between the two of them. I think they both trusted each other, and that's key with any kind of comedy team. You've got to trust each other. You know, it's the same way in acting, you know, you know whether it's stage or film or TV, you have to trust who you're working with. So that way you can do what you do and they do what they do. And that's the best you can get is when everyone does what they do. Mm-hmm. And uh, they they had that trust, you know, and, and even when we weren't on the air, you know, just from the limited time I had with the two of them that one night, you know, you could tell there was a fondness they had for each other. Mm-hmm. And... You know, just even talking about regular stuff, you know, I, mean, I don't know, Bobby, Bobby talking about his kids or whatever. It was, uh, and then I remember, um, the night Gorilla died, Yeah. they, uh, you know, they did the bell, uh, you know, the moment of silence with the bell, and I got really choked up. I mean, yeah. it was, it was a very moving thing. I mean, he was so beloved, you know, so...
1: Yeah, and I wish more people knew him the way uh, you know we had the opportunity to. Because you know I've talked about it many times. I wouldn't have made it that first year if it wasn't for a Gorilla. I mean, if he yeah. had not uh, you know put me under his wing and and helped me along the way. But he was just such a great person, you yeah. know. And uh, yeah. and a lot of people didn't really get ever get to see that side of him because they saw him you know with Bobby and of course in front of the cameras. But he he really was just an amazing guy. He
0: was a class act. You know, so yeah. was Bob, so was Randy. Yeah. You know? yeah. I mean in a man, in many ways um Nature Boy was was a class act. He always called me sir, which I did, never really understood, but I mean just really classy people, you know, mm-hmm. like real gentlemen. Uh,
1: you know, you know the world of professional wrestling, it is as you uh, saw, it, it is a very different world it, it, than a lot of people even know as far as the you know the kayfabe side of it. And you were you were there when that was still, uh, you know, somewhat part of the business. Um, what do you recall of really seeing the difference of how that was? And and, and uh, you know, we, I liken it in some ways to the mafia. Now, of course, you don't get whacked, but <laughs> but but well, there was well, a lot of that, that. We don't revenue. know. Yeah, we don't, huh? we don't know if anybody else got whacked.
0: A couple yeah. of people went missing, I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's a brotherhood. there's a brotherhood there's there's yeah. there for sure.
1: Yeah, you know. And when you was your, do you remember like the first time that you really felt that, that, uh, boy, I am not part of this world yet with the boys.
0: Um, uh, second or third episode, I think in the back, it was just kind of clear that I was, you know, uh, to use the George Goebel reference, I was the pair of brown shoes on the tuxedo, you know, yeah. it was like, it just doesn't, you know, one of these things is not like the other. And, uh, it's the fat guy in the sunglasses. That's, that's was not like the other i mean i think i think yokozuna was the first match of the first show Mm. and i think the first words out of my mouth were something like um wow vince has got an ass like an amphitheater and i remember looking at vince's face and all the color just drained from his face it was like oh (laughs) lord what have i done you know (laughs) i And I think I followed it up with that's a that's one big Oriental Vince, and I just oh, and he just I, he jumped in on top of it as quick as he could, and uh, I think for Randy even said, "I don't know about this kid Bartlett."
1: <laughs> yeah, I forgot you do a good Randy too. Uh, well, thank you, the Macho Man. I, I missed him. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, uh, it's interesting to to hear that that you did have uh, that relationship with him because. Like I said, Randy could be tough. It t- it took uh, most of the time with people. It took a long time to get to get to that point. I mean, it was it was way beyond a year before uh, you know I got to that point with him. So it's uh, it, but I think that probably may, you know a lot of it might have had to do that, that. He was kind of put in that position too. That uh, you know to be an announcer. You know, not that he yeah. hadn't really done much before, but right. to be put in that position, you guys were kind of like you know, this is us. (laughs) We're on this little boat together with Vince.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was only one time it got a little tense between Randy and I. I had actually taken my son to see the match where uh, he proposed to Miss Elizabeth in the ring. Uh And it was like very early on when we were training up at Stanford at the complex and I I, I, you know, I mentioned that I did an impression of him. He said, Oh yeah. I said, yeah. And I said, Miss Elizabeth, will you make and he, he like looked at me like if I said another word,
1: yeah.
0: I was going to lose my Adam's apple. He was going to reach <laughs> into my throat and pull out my Adam's apple. And yeah. I guess you know they had kind of split up and it wasn't, a wasn't a really good breakup. Yeah. And, and he was very sensitive about that. So I never, never brought that up again. Um, but
1: uh, well, I'm glad you didn't stop doing the impression because it's a good one.
0: Well, yeah, I I, I would do it. You know, sometimes looking over my shoulder too, to make sure he wasn't coming down the hallway. I don't want to take any chances.
1: Yeah. Well, it you know it really sounds like Rob, like you cherished that time. Uh, whatever it was, it was a but uh, you know as brief as it may have been but uh it, it, i'm sure it opened up a new world to you and uh you know it's it's great to hear that that uh, you do look back at that time fondly
0: oh yeah i mean how could you not i mean it was just yeah. a it was a crazy crazy world at a crazy time and you know i i actually caught it right between when it was really big with Cindy Lauper and then when it got really really big again you know the year after i joined so it was <laughs> i kind of got stuck in the valley between the times it was really Immensely popular. And I don't think it's dipped since. You know, it just seems to me it just gets bigger and bigger and more and more popular.
1: And, uh, now, before I let you go, though, and we didn't even talk about uh, the Hulkster, but I know you do a, a great Hulkster. And, and uh, how much uh, did you get a chance to work with him? I don't remember what was going on with him at the time, but uh, what I are your memories?
0: I, I think I met him. You know, he did one of the shows. He had a movie that had just come out. I don't know if it was Mr. Mister Nanny or the one where he played
1: the... Uh, uh, the one he was nominated spaceman. for an Oscar for? That one? Yeah, I
0: yeah, that's the one where where the, the screenplay won the Pulitzer, I think it was. <laughs> uh, and, uh, Mr. Was, Nanny
1: you know, or uh, yeah, No Holds
0: Yes. Yeah, one of them. I, it was one where he played a spaceman who came to Earth. I, uh-huh. I don't really remember what it was. Yeah, yeah. But... He was on to promote that, obviously, and he had kind of segued into a movie career. So, uh, you know, that's what it was about for him. And he was, again, just a real classy gentleman, very, very nice, very friendly, very warm. And uh, I started doing him on the IMA show years and years and years later, and he actually was a guest one day, one morning, and I think it was maybe the day that all the stuff went down, with uh, his wife and the uh, and the tape, the leaked tape, and oh. and the, you know, the, the Chicago DJ, whatever his name was, and uh, so he was at his worst. You know, he was at his lowest, mm. and uh, you know he he knew that I did an impression of him, and and you know he didn't really have much to say about that. I mean, but he, it, it was really sad. He was he was crushed. You know, and I really felt bad for him. He just all the life was out of his eyes. He just was at the lowest point. And I, I really felt for him. You know, I really felt for him. But you know, let's say he's pulled himself back up. He's he's a survivor. Not yeah. somebody who gives up easy.
1: So uh, he wasn't around when you were there. Was he off doing other projects?
0: No, I, think he, I think he had gone off to do the movie thing.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. Oh. But you know, and the thing is, and, and uh, we we kid about it, but um, you know. Hulk uh, Terry really deserves a lot of credit for oh, yeah. that crossover. I mean, it, at that time, he really was the first really big time. I mean, where he was right. mainstream and where right. he was doing Hollywood movies, box office. And yeah. I don't know if he gets enough credit for that because now we now we see it. It's all uh, you know to see somebody like uh, you know Dwayne Johnson or or John Cena in these movies. It's just yeah, well, they're just uh, doing something different in entertainment.
0: These guys wouldn't be where they are if it weren't for for, for Terry. I mean he really, you know, broke broke the <laughs> I guess the wrestling glass ceiling into a legitimate yeah. acting and and you know opened the door for guys like them to, to really do well. I mean I think obviously the two of them, Dwayne and, and uh, John, are really, really talented actors. I mean John's they're both really gifted comic actors. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, their timing, their sense of timing. I mean, John Cena in the in the movie with, uh, uh, what was that? Uh, female comics name? Oh, Amy
1: Schumer. Amy uh, Schumer. Yeah. He was a train screen. Train wrecker. Yeah.
0: Yes. He was a yeah. screamer in that movie.
1: Yeah.
0: And, you know, and, and Dwayne is like, I've never seen him be bad in a movie. Yeah. You know, he's really, he's got confidence, he's got the timing, he's got the personality. They're both really likable. Yeah. I
1: think that's awesome. Yeah. How can people get in touch with you? I mean, do you have uh, you know, the uh, email address or Twitter? Yeah, yeah. Uh, on Twitter it's at the Robbio, T H E R O B um, I O.
0: In uh, on Instagram it's uh, the Robbio I think mean it's Robbio Radio Comedy. I think is the Instagram. Yeah. And uh, there's uh, and the email is uh, Robbio Radio Comedy Hour at uh, Gmail is the email so
1: awesome well as you as you take us out of here can you give us a little Hulkster? all right brother i'm gonna come down on you like nobody's ever come down on you
0: before i'm open up a great big can of whoop ass on you brother actually i'm not even doing it justice it's been a while since i've done them <laughs> all you gotta say all right brother yeah brother Brother's really the whole He's thing you know brother, yeah. When he called me brother, what you I, gonna I, do?
1: What you gonna do? Yeah.
0: What you gonna do, brother? Hulk- I'm a real <laughs> American. Hocomaniacs, out there, you know, want you to brush your teeth. He <laughs> was great.
1: Take your vitamins. Rob, it's I been think, awesome.
0: Thank you, Sean. That's Thanks so awesome much, for catching
1: up. And we'll I, I love up. to I love to talk to people that uh, love comedy as much as I do.
0: That's great. And you know, we'll we'll have to do that thing where you uh when you do the ride along or we, we, we watch a, a thing. Oh together. yeah.
1: You know what? Would you, I want, I'm going to want to do that with me. We'll do the first episode of raw. It'll be a blast.
0: Oh, that'll be a, that'll be a lot of fun.
1: that will be okay. great. Yeah.
0: So you're in. Let's,
1: I'm in. All right. Awesome. All right, man. Uh, it's been fantastic. I love catching up to you. And, and it, it really, it's just, it's so uh, awesome that you do remember that time. Uh, uh, a great time. I thought I, I enjoyed it. I thought that, uh, you know it was to me it was just uh, it mixed it up it was something different and and look what it's become after all these years
0: right, right. and I you mean, were on the
1: ground floor of that
0: it was live you know yeah. it was it was a 1994 i guess it was live yeah,
1: it was crazy I
0: mean, it, 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 it was unbelievable really unbelievable yeah. you know he, he had vision i'm telling you yeah. Vince had right. a vision
1: Goodness.
0: all
1: right my friend great talking to you i let you get on your way but uh, thanks so much for being a guest on primetime
0: My pleasure, my friend. You take care of yourself. I'll see you soon.